You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Elizabeth Enns, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Really looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. There are a couple things that you shared with me prior to this conversation that really touched me, and I want to dive into those. One of those was pay attention to your tears, and the second is give your yes to the Lord. Before we go there, would love to have you share some of your backstory, Elizabeth, and then let's walk through the trajectory of your faith walk. Yeah, for sure. Well, I... I am completely blessed to grow up in an amazing, godly home. My parents, they brought up my siblings and myself to love God and to live according to His purposes and plans. And I think I came out of the womb already filled with the Holy Spirit and, <laughs> <laughs> and saved and ready. I just was born into it. And although I had different times in my life where I felt the call of the Lord on my life and I responded and gave my yes to the Lord even at four when I first asked Jesus into my life, you know, intentionally. And then a few years later at a Billy Graham crusade. And as I grew up in in different seasons of life, rededicating my life to the Lord. I, I never walked away from the Lord, but there's times where you're like, you have a revelation and you realize there's more. And so I'm gonna fully lay down my life in my understanding of what it means today and press further into his purposes for my life and just living sold out for him. So I grew up in that and and I thought that was normal because that's all I knew. And I come from a long line of pastors and ministers and missionaries and experienced the supernatural from a young age. I saw healings and I heard testimonies from family members of major healings and even someone being raised from the dead. Wow. And I thought that was a normal experience to believers. Also, during my growing up years, I was in a culture that was very godless. I grew up in Canada, and for the most part, you're free to be a Christian, but society wants you to keep that in your personal devotional life and not be outward about that. And so it's not very welcome in the public sphere. And it's something you just keep that to yourself and that's great. And so so growing up in that, I was very much surrounded by in school and in society with people that were just either hopeless or angry or fearful, all the different things because they didn't know God. I'm getting this picture in my mind, a continuum on the far right is where you are. We're like, this is normal life mm -hmm. to see all these different miracles. And then you were living in a culture where most everyone was on the far left of the continuum. Yes. And so what was that like in school as you were a young child in the midst of this place where there was virtual faithlessness? It was challenging, to say the least. I got beat up for my faith, like <laughs> physically hmm. beat up, and I'm tenacious and could hold my own. I'm just thinking of Elizabeth the cage fighter. <laughs> yes. So there, there was uh, never in a cage, but there was, there, there was a lot of that through my high school years where 
either to defend myself, like physically, literally defend myself or protect others who were being beat up or, or bullied in, in some way. Wow. That was an aspect. And just just terrible, hateful things. Like Because I stood up for my faith and I stood up for those who couldn't stand up for themselves, I was ridiculed publicly. I would walk down the halls in school and people would swear at me and throw food at me and write terrible things about me on the walls in the bathroom. And all of this because of who I was and what I stood for. And so when I would come home and of course, you know, I was a a teenager and you could be strong and, and courageous and tenacious, but you're still human and you still feel. And so I would come home and lay it all out to my parents. And my dad would be like, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And and they were so encouraging and, you know, would, would help me to get what I needed from the Lord and to be supported. So I was ready to go back to the battlefield the next day for school. So let's talk about that. Your parents encourage you. Dad, so proud of you, Elizabeth, you cage fighter. When one day you're getting food hurled at you, you've got these terrible things being said to you, you come home. How did you press the reset button that night to come back the next day? So my parents taught me through their life, but also speaking to me about it, the importance of forgiving and blessing and really in line with our battle is not against flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. And so although there was definitely a flesh and blood battle going on a regular basis, there was also very much a spiritual battle. and so. The agitators, the specific people that just hated me and were so intentional about coming against me regularly, they got on my hit list for love and blessings. (laughs) And so every day, every time I thought of them, I would, in all sincerity, pray forgiveness over them, release them, and pray blessing over them. And sometimes... That was very hard because of what I was going through in in every day, Mm -hmm. but I did that. Every time I thought of them, Lord, I forgive them. They don't owe me anything. I just bless them. Lord, help their hearts to be healed in Jesus' name. And I would just pray these prayers over them. And there was this one girl, and she was mean. She was so hateful, and she was twice my size. And so she was on my hit list to just love her to some place of healing in Jesus. And This particular time when I started like being intentional with this girl, I saw literally in two weeks, in two weeks, everything shift in her Mm. and she started to want to talk to me and she started to want to be friends with me and she started to be kind and then she started to stick up for me. Oh, I love it. So I saw the power of forgiveness and the power of blessing and the power of fighting those battles in our prayer closets with the Lord. I saw them in real time shift people's hearts and shift, you know, the people that I was interacting with every day. What did that do to your faith? Because I feel like I just came out of the womb full of faith, it just solidified it, I would say. Like I I had big faith. Mm -hmm. I had big faith for not just God can if he wants to, but God will and God is. And so as we do our part to partner with him, we'll see his hand move and we'll see his power extended and we'll see the results of that. So as you finished out high school, was there anything that springs to mind that happened near the end of that season? Not specifically. It wasn't like like a Hollywood movie that ends so you know amazing. The more I pressed into the Lord, the more I really grew as a leader within my sphere. Like I was leading Bible studies. I was leading youth groups and 
I was traveling all over North America, preaching against abortion. I was doing all of these things and I know that it was impacting people. So people would quietly and privately come to me and thank me for what I was doing. But publicly, there was such a demonic assignment against what I was doing that manifested in the young people that didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. They didn't know why they hated me. They just hated me. And so for me, I know that made me stronger for the spheres that the Lord would then put me in later in life. And throughout my life, it's like David fighting the the bear and the lion before he fought Goliath. He was king and had to rule a nation. And so there are different seasons in our life where God knows what we're capable of, but we actually have to prove really to ourselves where we're at and how much we need him to help us fill our shoes so God can give us bigger shoes to send us into another sphere. To that point, what has been an experience, kind of a defining moment after high school, through college, et cetera, where you had the sense, I was made for more, and then the Lord drops you in the middle of a situation like a Goliath situation that proved to yourself, yeah, I was made for more. One story that specifically stands out to me, it was shortly after I finished college, I was teaching, became a certified classroom teacher. And in that time, one of my students' moms came to me and said, I met this girl and I gave her your phone number. I think she really needs your help. And so it turned out that this young girl, she was a foster child and she was pregnant. And everyone in her sphere was telling her to get an abortion, but she didn't think that was right. But she didn't know what to do because she had like, her counselors were telling her she should get an abortion, her foster mom, the boyfriend was demanding it. Like everything was stacked up against her. And she was so afraid. She didn't know what to do. And so I just started loving on her and I I took her to a pro-life center so that she could see the developments and understand that it was really a baby and where her baby was in its development and all of these things. So she came to a place where she knew she wanted to keep the baby, but she still had everyone against her, except for me, pushing this other decision. Yeah, And so much so, she invited Jesus into her life, and I brought her to church. And we had developed this relationship over a couple weeks. And in Canada, there's no abortion law. So there wasn't a rush to that it has to be done, you know, in the first so many weeks or anything like that. But it got to a place where she called me in a panic because her boyfriend was taking her to the abortion clinic. And she was like, I I need help and I don't know what to do. And so I quickly got in my car and drove to where she was and tried to stop it there at her house. But he wouldn't have it, made her get in the car. And so she's like, please come. And so I'm now driving behind their vehicle, just praying, Lord, what is going to happen here? What, you know, what do I do? And he was a rough guy. He was a gang member and into drug stuff. And he was a dangerous, rough person. So even just to go toe-to-toe and, and stand up to him to protect this girl and her baby, that that was like a first you know, step that was more than just in the halls of a high school. Yeah. And so as we're driving, I know you're not supposed to be on your phones while you drive, but I did. I got on my <laughs> cell phone and I, I called some of my sisters in the Lord who I knew were faithful intercessors. And I'm like, this is what's happening right now. I need you to pray. I need you to stand with me in prayer. I have no idea what's about to happen. I need covering. So anyway, we get to the abortion clinic 
and he won't have it. She's going in. They've already made an appointment. It's happening. She asked me to come in. So now here I am, someone who's been fighting for pro-life. At that point, it was probably about eight years. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm about to walk into an abortion clinic. This is the lion's den. This is Goliath's territory. It's getting real now. It was very real and very scary. And so I was just praying. I was just praying in tongues, I was like under my breath and just praying, Lord, I, I need your help. I don't know what to do. I need you to intervene. So as I was praying and, and some of my friends were praying from their homes, they didn't let the boyfriend come in because although they're very pro-choice, there is also a protection of women's rights and they don't want a woman being forced or coerced to do something she doesn't want to do. So like when you go to have a baby, they'll make your husband leave the room and they'll ask you questions to make sure you're not being abused and things like that. And so anyway, he wasn't allowed to come in, but I was because I'm a woman. And the nurse leaves the room and her and I are just praying. And the nurse comes back and she says, we don't have any record of your appointment today and we have no room in our appointments to do an abortion on you today. Whoa. She knew an appointment was made, like this young girl, and God just intervened and removed her name from the list. There's still, you know, a battle once we got out because the boyfriend was freaking out, but that shifted everything and she ended up having this baby, having this little boy, getting the help and support that she needed. And now that young man is 21 and she reached out to me because I'd since moved to the, the U.S. and I didn't know how to find her and she found me on Facebook and she since reached out to me and just thanked me for saving her life and for saving her son's life. And she's now stayed in contact. But that was a defining moment of not backing down, ready to go, whether it's against a Goliath or against mm -hmm. another lion, whatever it was, to save her life and the life of her baby. What sticks out for me in this whole story is you immediately call your sisters in the Lord, and ask for prayer cover. It was number one, was seek first the kingdom of God, cry out to God. And that was no doubt a knee-jerk reaction for your heart, wasn't it? Yeah. It's unfortunate that many of us, when we're in a Goliath-type situation, mm -hmm. we kind of think of prayer, but the reality is that is the answer. It is the answer. And I have friends in business who actually hire intercessors to pray over their businesses, and there are dramatic things happening within their businesses. I'm talking employees getting healed, coming to the Lord, new business ideas. So I'm just obviously shifting it to what prayer can do, right? Yeah. And that applies to everything. Anything else you want to say about that experience? Well, just an add-on to what prayer can do. Even this morning, I was reading in Second Chronicles about King Asa and the Lord because he called on society and what's society's wisdom for things, instead of the Lord, mm. he failed. And then he got sick. And even when he was very sick, instead of praying, he just went to his doctors. And because of that, he died. And of course, I believe in good doctors, but the point is I go to God first because he's the creator and he made me and he knows exactly what I need in my decision-making. He knows exactly what I need in my health. He knows exactly what I need in my relationship situations. So I've learned through life that when I follow that, 
when I look to the Lord first and I seek first Him and I look, Lord, where are you looking in this situation? Direct me with my eyes. That's one of my prayers to the Lord on a regular basis. As I look to your face, show me, open my eyes to see what I need to see so that I respond how you would respond. That allows us to be successful and maybe not successful always in the world's eyes, but successful for the kingdom of God and to shine for his glory and to be used for his purposes. Circling back, Elizabeth, to your experiences in high school, you have created and developed a group that works with youth, correct? Mm -hmm. Tell me about that group. And was that born out of your experiences in high school? I work with a lot of young people in different spheres. So in regards to Patriotic Students of America, we work with young people and we help them to start and keep going with Patriotic Clubs. And the focus of that is to help young people see that they were created for greatness and to be inspired by other people who have done great things with their life, whether they were given little or whether they were given much. And our nation has such a rich history of people who did amazing things. Mm -hmm. Our current culture likes to speak very negatively about everything. And so out of that, I felt inspired from the Lord to encourage young people to be great and look for greatness. And there's a parable, not in the Bible, but a parable about this king who calls in two workers. One of them, he says, I want you to go and count all the weeds in the royal garden and then come back and report. And then he says to the other worker, I want you to go throughout my kingdom and count all of the gardens, the flower beds, and come back and report. And so when it was time to come back and report, the the first worker was like, there's just so many weeds. We have such a problem. We need to uproot everything and start again. Whereas the other worker who was sent out to look for the beautiful gardens was like, we have such a beautiful kingdom. It's <laughs> flourishing and thriving and had a totally different perspective in the same place. It doesn't mean we ignore the bad things. We still need to deal with the weeds. But when we focus on that which is bearing fruit, when we focus on that which is great, and we then are inspired to be great amongst the great, we thrive in such a strong way that bears good fruit. So with Patriotic Students of America, we encourage these young people to start patriotic clubs, and the focus is on great Americans. The focus is on teaching the Constitution and the spirit in which it was written and the founding fathers and how this nation was birthed in such an amazing way. And then now look at all these inventors and artists and musicians and scientists. Look at these great things that they were inspired to do. Now there's something great in you. What can you do? What are you inspired to do now? And so it's just exciting to see young people come alive instead of being pushed down with the hopelessness that surrounds them, to see young people come alive and have a synergism within their clubs and a synergism with their friends of, yeah, we could do this and be motivated to be creative, solution-oriented young people. It's just amazing to see. You know, the word greatness, when you said that, I would suspect many of the youth, to the point you just made, what is greatness? I'm made for mm -hmm. greatness? You have mm -hmm. got to be kidding me. If they survey the people that are in their orbit, where is it? 
right? Yeah. And this is why you created this. Tell me, if you would please, an example of one or two of the students that the light bulb went off and they started to soar into greatness. Well, I'm a little biased maybe, but I think many would agree with me. My youngest son, he's 12, his name is Asher. And in this journey, he has led three different clubs at this point. One at his school for the last two years, he led a club and then has done two different clubs in the community, as well as led a week-long summer camp for kids in the community. I could see greatness in him, and people who met him would see greatness in him. But as he has learned about the different great Americans of our history, he's constantly going back to other books and wanting to read more about different ones. And yesterday he was telling me about someone, he's like, and he was a self-made man. And this is great. And my other sons were like, what are you talking about? But he's just so encouraged and inspired by these great Americans that he's now figured out what year he can run for being president. And in all seriousness, like not just a little kid who wants to be a president or a firefighter or something else, like thinking through what are the policies that are important to turn our nation around and how can I help my nation and really like plotting out, okay, I'm going to get this education and get this job that will prepare me. And just like seeing this just explode out of a 12 year old. Yeah. I'm thankful to God that I get to be part of it and like watch. I mean this in all sincerity and honesty. Every person that meets my son is like, whoa, who is this kid? And he is someone that whether he is becomes the president or whether God uses him in some completely different way, it will be a sign of greatness. His life will be a sign of greatness. And so for other kids then that see him and meet him, they want to start clubs and they want to lead groups. And we had this one young man that his dad saw something I posted on Facebook and he lives in the community. We didn't know each other at all, but he saw what I was doing. And so he came and said, you know, can my son come to your club? Because he's a little older. He started coming to one of our other clubs for high school students. And because of that, it has really inspired him at school in his social studies and in history that this past year, he was given an award for the whole county in what he was doing. And it's just like seeing that on a small scale, because these are just two kids in my community, mm -hmm. but we have over a hundred clubs in 13 different states and know that kids are excited and they're pressing in and they're excited for the future of our nation and how they can play a part in it. So needed. Circling back to the beginning of our conversation and something we haven't touched on was paying attention to your tears. Let's talk about that. What does that mean? When we talked about the high school years, in that time, I had to be tough or I felt like I had to be tough because of what I was facing every day. So part of me had to kind of go into hibernation and, and that was my tears. I wasn't going to be a crybaby. I wasn't going to be emotional. I was going to serve the Lord. I was going to be a young general, whatever. And so I really, I shut down that part of myself because I've thought at that time that it was just a sign of weakness and I needed to have control over that. Several years later, after college, I remember I was in church one Sunday and I felt the Lord moving, but I was very used to 
you know, well, I'm not going to cry. That would be ridiculous. And I'm just going to swallow hard and shut that down. And this man walked up behind me. He actually was like a rock star. You know, he dressed in black leather jacket and the skinny jeans and big hair and, and that kind of thing. So he looked tough. He had the tough look and he just came up behind me. And I know it was the Holy Spirit leading him because he didn't look like a crier, yeah. but he came up behind me during worship as the Holy Spirit was moving and he put his hand on my shoulder and he just said, it's okay to cry. <sighs> and in that moment, it was like the floodgates burst open. That which I had suppressed for so long came out. And that kind of started the journey of inappropriate moments, it's okay to cry. And so then if we fast forward several years, I had actually moved to the U.S. by this time, and I was in another church meeting, and the Holy Spirit again was really moving, and Lou Ingle was speaking. And I felt like everything he was saying was directed at me. And I know that there's moments that people feel that in, in services, and, and it's true. But he actually was saying things about some of my family members and my great-grandfather and things. So I'm like, this is totally actually for mm -hmm. me personally. So I was listening very carefully, and I'm like, I don't want to miss it, Lord. What are you telling me? Like, he didn't know me. He didn't know who I was or that I was in the crowd. And I was even kind of behind a pillar. So he could even see me if the Holy <laughs> Spirit was trying to highlight me to him. Like I was very much hidden, but having this moment with the Lord. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to hear in this? What do I, what are my takeaways? And, and I'm always praying that in services. I'm like, okay, God, but what am I supposed to get out, you know, from you in this? And yeah. what's my takeaway here? And, and then Lou Engel said, pay attention to your tears. And that hit me like a huge wave. Like when you're out, when you're at the beach and just unsuspecting, like a huge wave just in the face. And it was like, the Lord just like, I am speaking to you. When you feel me move and those tears come, you need to pay attention because I'm on it. I'm telling you something. And so from that point on, I would say that was probably four years ago now. There has been this shift in my own personal life where I'll be talking to someone and all of a sudden I get that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to cry. I'm like <laughs> right in front of somebody. This is, okay, God, I get it. You're on this. And so then I, I press in. There's something, either I need to pray for this person or there's something on this conversation I need to hear. There's something going on right now that I need to pay attention to because the Lord needs me to know or to do. And so this has been something that over these last four years has just continued over and over and over and in huge ways of the Lord directing my path. During the COVID time, my husband and I are pastors in Fort Mill, South Carolina, and the Lord got me into a hospital one time when nobody was getting into the hospital. I was driving down the road and one of our ladies was in the hospital with COVID and she wasn't getting cared for. She was just like shut in a room and no one had even brought her water. And so I reached out to our congressman. I reached out to people on the hospital board. I did all of those things. And I was praying and I was driving down the road and I felt that presence of the Lord and those tears. And I'm just like, Lord, they won't let us in. I've already tried to visit other people. We're not allowed, even with a pastor's badge, we're not allowed in the hospital. And I just felt the Lord say, go to the hospital. So I walk in and I go to the desk and I told him who I was and who I needed to visit. And it was like it wasn't even COVID. He put my name in the system. He gave me a badge and he said, go ahead. <laughs> and it was like, 
I don't know what just happened, but the Lord has gone before me. They open the double doors that are like locked unless they press a button. And as I walked in and I'm walking down the hall, everybody is stopping and looking at me. And so then someone else walks up to me because I had a badge. So I was allowed to be there. They started handing me the whole suit I had to put on. And they're like, if you're going to be here, you need all of this. And so, you know, I did that. And but went and was able to pray over this woman who ended up going to be with the Lord. But it was just one of those moments of the Lord, one, what he's doing in my own life, but also he needed me to be there for her and to pray with her and to bring fresh living water to her yeah. in that moment. And, and so that was just an example of the Lord was moving and I needed to pay attention and God opened doors that were shut and he opened the doors and I was able to go forward and minister. What I love too about that story, Elizabeth, is you had already run the gauntlet. There was no way you were going to get in there. But through this sense of the spirit of God and the tears that came with it, you knew based on your experience in that space, I better do this. It's so instructive. So how can people find out more about you? I have a Facebook page, Dr. Elizabeth Enns. I do have a website. It's not so much about my ministry. It's for my political role. I'm running for South Carolina State House currently. People can follow me there. My husband and I also are part of a national prayer initiative. In the spirit of what General Patton did in the war, he had his chaplain create a common prayer and he sent it out to his 250,000 soldiers and had everyone praying the same prayer because they needed the Lord to move. They needed the weather to change. They all had this common prayer and they all came together in unity and they prayed this prayer. They saw the hand of God move and the weather change and they won the war. My husband and I are part of this prayer initiative to get people praying across the nation a common prayer for their states and for our nation because we believe that as we come together in unity, that we will see the hand of God move for our nation and for what the Lord wants to do in us and through us. Another way people can go to pray-usa.org and they can find their state, they can sign up to pray for their state. And in that, we'll also be sending out prayer initiatives and to encourage people, this is what's going on. This is what we see with with our eyes or on the TV, but this is how we can stand in the gap and this is how we can build up the wall and this is how we can pray in obedience to the Lord. So that's another way that people can connect and just kind of see what we're doing and how we're giving our yes to the Lord. Great. I'll have all things Elizabeth ends linked in the show notes. Sounds good. Thank you. Yes. As we finish, would love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you and we praise you that you are good. I thank you that you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in your timing. And Lord, I thank you that you desire to use us in your ways and in your perfect timing. Lord, I pray for all of those who hear this podcast that today that their hearts would be open to you, that they would give their yes to you. And I just want to encourage you listeners as you're hearing this prayer that you would just pray out and say, yes, Lord, I give you my yes today. I give you my yes right now in this moment, be it according to your word that my life would bring you honor and glory. And so, Father God, we just say thank you. Thank you for hearing these prayers. Thank you for opening the hearts of your people to respond to you 
as you call them by name into your purposes for your plans and for your glory. We just commit our ways to you, Lord. We commit our lives and our families and our nation to you, that you truly would be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. I could go another hour on that prayer. So good, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.